listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. I, I attend this church uh, as much as I possibly can. Uh, my work kind of takes me away sometimes, but uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be here with you. Um, if you're new here or you forgot your Bible, we are going to be in the Bible today. So if you want a Bible, there's ushers that can bring them forward and give you one um, just as a way for you to kind of track along with what we're doing and stuff. So I might actually take one because then I can tell people um, um, what page to go to. Because sometimes people, you know, they they look and they're like, ah, I, c- I can't find it. And you're like looking through because we'll be in the Old Testament uh, in a few minutes. But uh, before we do, uh, I do want to just introduce myself because uh, it's my first time having the opportunity to speak here with you uh, this morning. And so, um, yeah, my name is Glenn, like I said. Um, I, um, I'm an Okanagan boy. I grew up in uh, Salmon Arm, so just uh, a little bit north of here. And um, yeah, any Salmon Arm people out there? Yes. Hey, oh yeah. That's Ian. Uh, he, uh, me and him went to youth group together when we were, when we were growing up and stuff like that. So uh, anyways, I, um, uh, from, from uh, high school there, I went to uh, Briarcrest Bible College in Saskatchewan. Any Saskatchewan people? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. There's like a, a, like a murmur that came up, if you can hear that, of people saying, wow, yeah. So there we go. Went to Briarcrest Bible College in Saskatchewan. Uh, I got uh, my BA in uh, youth ministry there and started my master's. And then um, Went to the Philippines and worked as a missionary for a little while, and then um, after that got a job actually in Kamloops and was the youth pastor in Kamloops for several years. Uh, from there, we um, I met my wife, uh, Deanna. A uh, great opportunity to kind of I I was older. I was like in my 30s when I met her, and so kind of I was working for, waiting for that right girl, and so um, found my wife, Deanna, and lived in Vancouver for a little while. Got to be an extra in some movies because my brother made a connection for me. And then we moved here to Kelowna about 10 or about 12 years ago or so. And um, I had, um, we decided we didn't want to live in Vancouver. We got married here in Kelowna. And um, I actually worked for Grayback Construction here and uh, did some work at, uh, in the neighborhood around here. And then I actually was the, the school pastor at the Kelowna Christian School uh, for just about a year. And then uh, that job ended and I was like, hey God, where, where do you want me to go? And ended up uh, finding a job in Victoria. So that's where I was just before I moved here. Worked there as a youth pastor in Victoria for eight years, and while I was there, I um, I was kind of sensing like, okay, God, what, what's next? A little bit. I was kind of feeling this murmur in me, and so I, I decided to um, go to uh, postgraduate school. I got a master's in um, leadership through Royal Roads University there, and that opened up a door, I believe, for me to get a job in government. So I I started working in government as a grant analyst, just on a temporary contract. Uh, which was a great opportunity. I'm like, okay, God, I guess this is where you want me. And I started thinking, like, maybe, maybe government is where I'm supposed to be. And so I started applying for jobs once I was able to. And um, I applied for 50 jobs. And um, I had 50 no's. I was like, okay, God, I, I don't know. I don't understand why, like, you know, when we pray to God, we expect him to say yes to us, right? <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm praying, like, hey, God, this seemed to be an open door. And, and he, he's, he was saying no to me. And then um, I applied for one job outside of government uh, here in Kelowna and got it. And I'm like, okay, got it. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, here we go, right? So um, this is what brings me here today. Uh, I have the privilege to work as the director of Bridges to New Life Society. And it's a local, local uh, not-for-profit organization here. And um, to my knowledge, Bridges to New Life Society is the only Christian stage two prison aftercare ministry which includes housing in B.C., and possibly Canada. Uh, so it's an aftercare ministry. So um, 
you might be thinking like, huh, what are you talking about? Like, it's not a halfway house. So halfway houses or uh, drug recovery houses, those kind of places are stage one. Um, you know, even the, the mission, I think, would be considered stage one housing. We're kind of like stage two. So it's like after you've done drug recovery or those kinds of things, and we support men. So we're the only one that, that includes housing. A Christian ministry, you know, to help guys get their feet back under them after they've gone through other things, right? Supporting them to get back underneath their, or their feet back underneath them. So Bridges offers new life to those impacted by crime. That's kind of our motto. It's like, hey, we want to give new life to these, these men and women that are, that are seeking support. Our mission is to address the need for post-release support of offenders in British Columbia, Canada. We mobilize the church to help people whose lives have been impacted by crime to become whole and productive members of society by facilitating healing between themselves and the community. So we have an office complex um, on Sutherland Avenue in Kelowna, and above kind of the office complex, there's this six-bed safe house. The Bridges Complex is to support men as they get out of prison to help them transition back into society. We support them with affordable housing, helping them find jobs, spiritual counseling, Bible studies, and, and something called an overcomers program, which essentially is kind of like a 12-step program, but it is uh, really biblically focused, 12-step um, program made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous, but we kind of like focus in, and, and it's actually a great study. It's one I actually think I would be willing to use like in a Bible study or something like that. It's like, hey, it, it's just in-depth study, uh, getting into the Word of God, but also helping you and me kind of think through you know, life-controlling problems, because we all have things that we get stuck in that can control us, that can kind of pull us down, or um, good things that can pull us towards Christ, right? So I also have at the at a center, I have like probably 20-plus walk-ins of people needing support each week, and endless calls, many letters from men and women who are incarcerated looking for support. So uh, this morning, I have asked one of our clients, just kind of as a way of introduction, to come and share a little bit with you, just to get an, a sense of, um, of who you are and what's going on. So I'm going to invite Derek to come up. Um, this is only Derek's third time sharing uh, his testimony, so if you can, uh, yeah, just be gracious to him as, as he shares. So yeah, I'll turn it over to, to Derek to share a little bit. So. I think you just talk, yeah. Hello? Oh, no. maybe the mic got turned off. No, it's on. Oh, it's on. Hello. Uh, okay, we'll just, uh, here, do you want to just hold this? It's working? It's working. Okay, there, there it is. Go. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Derek, and I'm a current resident at the Bridges Safe House. And I'd like to share uh, my story from when I was from when I was a kid to about now. I moved around a lot when I was with my stepmom and my stepdad. Um, they had good values, and I was taught them. But I was also um, a subject to physical abuse at that home. Uh, often, a job my brother and I did was gather wood. I remember my brother and I decided to gather wood and for, for our family without being asked. We took a long time because we were carrying a very large tree back to our property. When we returned, my dad was very upset. He ended up punching me, and then he got into a fight with my older brother. I thought that was the last time that I was going to do that for my dad. Um, when I was about seven years old, I was playing piggy in the middle, and the ball bounced out into the street, and I was hit by a car. Um, the result was a broken leg and head trauma. Long ago, or long after my leg healed, I still had frequent headaches. When I was 11, my dad suggested that I try marijuana to help with the headaches. 
My dad thought it would help. It did, but I got really high the first time I used pot. The unintended result of this was that I ended up getting addicted to marijuana. Um, do you remember movie stores? I had the inside track. My stepmom worked at one of the convenience stores, which had VHS rentals. So I got to a lot of great memories of watching movies with my family at of five on the weekends. Um, when I was about 14, I started attending a youth drop-in center, which introduced me to Christianity. It was through the drop-in center that I became intrigued by Christians. The rest of the world would challenge me to do things that I did not want to do. Um, but Christians were normal. They didn't pressure me, and so I wanted to be like them. I was introduced to the attending church and attending a local church where I met other teens who were interested in pursuing a relationship with Jesus. I ran away from home when I was 14 because my home was unhealthy. Going to the youth group and the influence of the Christians had created a new standard in my life, which highlighted the problems focused around my home. I wanted to get away from my home and live differently. I started the process of talking to the Ministry of Children, Family, and Development. However, no placement was available. Initially, I left my home to live with the leader of, of the youth drop-in center's parents which was really good. I enjoyed living there and their values aligned with my new values. They also helped me find work. However, I made some lifestyle choices which aligned with my home life and not with Christianity. Um, acceptance of others became more important to me than living to, for Christ. After being asked to leave the drop-in center's home, I did a lot of couch surfing, which means sleeping on couches at friends' homes, in case you didn't know. <laughs> this lasted for about six months till the end of school. Finally, I, got, I was able to get placement into a group home, which was really good. It was one of the most, I was one of the most well-behaved students or kids there, <laughs> so they appreciated having me around as somebody stable. I played gin rummy every morning with one of the workers. The memory always makes me smile, and to this day, <laughs> I love playing gin rummy. <laughs> I stayed at the group home for two years, and this part of my life was stable. I was able to get off drugs and go to school. I even supported healthy living, like going to the swimming pool and to the movies and to the beach. Really fun, and I enjoyed it. I was able, it was probably the most stable life had ever been for me growing up. When I was 19, I became a Christian through a church in my town. I was excited because things seemed to be new and shiny. I shared my faith with many people. However, my, my passion slowly started to wear off. Over time, I found myself leaning towards um, old habits, which led me to sign up myself for Wagner Hills Farm to go gain support. Wagner Hills is a fully functioning farm where clients are able to learn and do farm chores as a part of the day and to be able to get away from drugs and alcohol. Also, daily Bible reading to support biblical literacy. Every week on Wednesday, we played street hockey. I became very good as a hockey goalie, so much so that my mentor even took me to play with his friends, and we easily won. <laughs> <laughs> this was also a very stable part of my life because of a very structured program. I completed Wagner Hills Farm, staying there for a year and a half. After Wagner Hills Farm, I was clean and sober and went to church consistently. I started getting some counseling. However, I quit the sessions before they were complete. I ended up making unhealthy choices and eventually became homeless. 
I did some more couch surfing until a friend took me in to live with his family. But I continued to make these bad choices and ended up making them one too many times, which landed me in criminal charges. Since it was COVID, I ended up being at a homeless shelter until my court date. That was about a year. I was convicted of my crimes and I was sent to prison. Prison sucks. That's about all you need to know about prison. <laughs> prison has motivated me to change. While I was in prison, I met a guy who introduced me to Bridges to New Life. I made Bridges to New Life part of my release plan while I was in prison. I was successful in acquiring housing at Bridges Safe House and was excited to participate in the Overcomers group. I was, it was there that I met Todd Gladman and Glenn Kyle, who supported me in my journey. Overcomers is a 12-step program designed to address life-controlling problems. I am currently a client of Bridges Safe House and in schooling at Okanagan Community College in Kelowna. I enjoy being at Bridges because the freedom it offers and the support which is given to me. We also have our own cooking facility and our own private fridges. We get the opportunity to bond with other guys in the house and Glenn also helps communicate with my PO and has supported me in various ways. Going to Overcomers is good and has helped me through my steps. The books are very thorough, which challenges me to work through my problems. All the rules of the house were originally very intimidating. However, I now realize they are for my benefit. On the top of that, Bridges has been a good resource for connecting with the church. I recently was able to get involved with Celebrate Recovery, the best place to be on a Friday night, which is <laughs> another avenue for support. Um, lastly, we start doing games night and I even got to go skiing at Silver Star. So I, anyways, I'm gonna tell the story. Um, so I went skiing at Silver Star with, uh, um, with Todd and with Darren. And uh, so I got to the top of the hill and I ended up finding out that my legs were bowed so I kept going this way. <laughs> and so I kept falling over and falling over and I got about maybe 500 feet from the gondola and I was like, I'm going back up. So I got a ride back down and then Todd was like, we should go to the bunny hill. And so I went to the bunny hill and I was like all excited. I was like, this is going to be easy. Got onto the magic carpet and I ended up falling over and like it started eating my jacket. It scared all the kids. And they're like, I don't want to go. That guy fell. And so I told Todd I was done after that. Um, so as I say here, skiing did not go as planned, but it's fun for everyone. I wanted to thank you for supporting me and the men at the safe house because it creates an opportunity to start it over again in a safe environment. Awesome. Thanks, Derek. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Thanks for sharing your story and stuff. I appreciate, uh, yeah, appreciate you being vulnerable and kind of sharing a little bit about uh, what's been going on. Uh, the Derek, or, um, uh, the Darren, Darren Ross, they're like here, he was playing piano, in case you're wondering who that was, but um, yeah. Anyways, um, so that's a little bit, I just want to kind of give you like a little bit of a tidbit of like, okay, what, what is Bridges all about, you know, because um, that's part of why I'm here today, just to share a bit of that. So it's mostly men, however, a few women, uh, spouses of men who have been incarcerated, um, and now we seek to make an impact on others. That's what, that's what the little organization does. On Tuesday, May 3rd, uh, I received a call from a guy who said being in jail is not as bad as three squares in a bed. In other words, getting three males in a bed. In, in other words, being in jail. It's, it's better to be in jail than out of jail. Um, made me think of a scripture about the Israelites' complaint to Moses about manna. 
And so that's what we're going to kind of dig into this morning, just kind of talking uh, in numbers. But uh, before we do, I'm just going to pray. So if you'd, uh, if you'd pray with me, uh, I'd appreciate that. So, <sighs> oh God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for a chance to dig into it together as, as a church. God, uh, thank you for, for loving us. Thank you that you're with us. God, I pray that um, as we get into your scripture that we'd be reminded to pray. We'd be reminded to be in relationship with you and um, reminded to get into your word and understand it. So I uh, just pray you'd be with us this morning. Uh, open our eyes and hearts. Uh, make it sensitive to your spirit this morning as we, as we pray. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And let's get to it. Uh, Melvin always does that. And I love it. It's like one of my favorite things. So I'm like, yeah, let's get to it. Um, one of the things uh, I forgot to say uh, a little bit earlier is I wanted to just introduce um, my family who, uh, you might see them kind of running around here because this is a church that my family attends. And so what happens sometimes is I, I come here, um, spend some time at first service, then I have to sneak away and take some of the guys to, to another church. So, um, so yeah, there's my fam right there. There's our cat. Uh, that's the horse my wife rides sometimes. Um, anyways, there's my clan right there. Um, yeah, proud of my family, so. You know, you have all these plans and ready to say, and then I kind of got distracted. So, anyways. Um, so, uh, yeah, kind of getting into the word a little bit. I, I, you know, as I think about this, for me, and maybe for you, it, it, it maybe feels hard to think, like, jail would be better than not jail. Um, I have a hard time kind of understanding that uh, until I was kind of thinking this through and, and reading this, this scripture. Um, I'm, I'm, I was in numbers when I was preparing for this sermon, and so um, I was reading through, and then this this passage of scripture came up that made me think like, oh, it kind of gave me light a little bit on to kind of change my perspective about what, it, what that idea of wanting to go back to jail. Um, maybe for you, have you ever been content with wanting to be stuck at home? Uh, before two years ago and the COVID lockdown, I can't imagine that, but for a while I was actually like, okay, I'm going to stay in because I feel protected, right? You know, we kind of had that feeling, or at least I had that feeling. It's, it's okay to be stuck in my home. Or maybe for you, have you ever been okay with kind of going back to old habits? You know, it's like, well, it's not as bad as this thing over here, so I'm going to do this other thing. Uh, maybe uh, you go back to old habits. Like, have any of you uh, fed your kids uh, cheese whiz? Any of you guys? <laughs> okay, so um, we tried to feed our kids cheese whiz, and it was like, no go. They were not having it. And so, um, you know, we, we love it. I love, like, it's like kind of like that comfort food from, like, when I was a kid. I, I like, whatever. I love cheese whiz with like a little bit of like uh, like on a Ritz cracker or something and hey it melts on foods instantly like come on anyways we tried to give it to our kids and they kind of they were like they were not into it at all <laughs> they were like no way there's no way I want it that's that's gross um, anyways maybe you go back to familiar foods even though you know it's not really that good for you um, or you uh, have a favorite tv dinner that you still buy when nobody else is around you know um or maybe a little more serious, First um, Corinthians uh, 12, it says, do you have a thorn in your flesh? Um, have you ever wanted to take the easy way out or procrastinate instead of doing the next right thing? Is there something you keep returning to even though you know you shouldn't? Do you lean towards anger when you know you should be more level-headed? Do you return to Netflix to unwind uh, and then catch yourself watching things maybe you shouldn't? You tend towards going back to old habits. Essentially, what I'm asking is, what are the strongholds in your life? What are the things that you go back to and they're like, you need to maybe tear those things down? Because you're not alone. The Israelites are actually the same. They wanted to go back to where things were familiar and what they thought was easier. 
Check this out. Numbers 11, verse 20. Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Or the NIV says, where did we ever leave Egypt? Um, if you're new to your Bible or, um, you know, just to remind you, um, I just want to start with a little bit of context. So um, this church, Hope, has just finished a series in the life of Joseph. Um, if you were not here for the, if you weren't here for that, or you're just joining us online, hello, online people. Um, if you, uh, if you're not familiar with that, so Joseph was a guy. He um, he had a bunch of brothers, like 11 brothers and himself. And um, his brother, his dad liked him best because he's the youngest, just like me, because I'm the youngest. I'm just kidding. Um, but he liked them lots, and he gave him like a nice coat and all this stuff. And the brothers got jealous, so they um, got him kind of like captured, and he ended up going to jail. Um, he had somebody. A girl tried to like uh, hit on him, and he's like, no way, and then he ended up putting in jail again, um, had a bunch of life circumstances. Um, he ended up, uh, he ended up um, becoming, through a series of events, essentially like the head of Egypt. Other than Pharaoh, other than the king, he was like the top go-to, he was the guy, right? And got trusted, he... Um, had some dreams that happened, and he, like, said, hey, I know what these dreams mean, and so he became, like, kind of a big, big shot, right? Eventually, Joseph died, and um, that's where we're going to pick up the story for us. It's about, uh, you know, maybe, like, a few hundred years after Joseph, and so we're going to open up uh, to Numbers. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to open up to Numbers with me, that'd be great. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Numbers chapter 11, which, if you have one of these Bibles, it's on page 132. Okay, um, so Numbers chapter 11, uh, verse 4 says this, uh, oh, sorry, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to say one thing, so in Exodus uh, 1 verse 13, they, um, uh, there was a new king, right, that had kind of come up, and he had taken over, and he kind of had forgotten about the Israelites, he, he didn't, he didn't know much about them, he just was like, he just saw this massive group of people that were like, wow, there's a lot of these people, and actually kind of got nervous. And so this is what he did in Exodus 1, verse 13 to 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So slavery is a form of imprisonment. You can't go and walk. You have to work all day. They had been freed from slavery, and the rabble wants to go back because there's better food there. So my question today, my title of my message is, How Do You Silence the Rabble? So Numbers 11, verse 4 says this. Now the rabble, which is where I got the title for my sermon, um, that was among them had strong cravings. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. It's been about a year since they left Egypt, and they had nothing but manna in the desert. So there's this rabble. In the King James, it actually translated as a mixed multitude. This was a mixed group of people. Most likely, one parent was Israelite and one parent was Egyptian. So they were Egyptian enough to miss Egypt, but Jewish enough to go on this journey to the Promised Land. This was the rabble. Or in a spiritual sense, our, I think in a spiritual sense, our churches are full of mixed multitudes or rabbles of people. Full of people who like to hang out with God's people on weekends and then run with the world during the rest of the week with their jokes, their value systems, maybe even Facebook posts, and see and like love to laugh at the, the, the jokes that are kind of out there, right? They tend to not be one or the other. According to Paul, that would be a worldly-minded Christian. 
So Romans 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will of, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the mixed multitude was dangerous for the Israelites. They were dangerous, and today they're dangerous for the church. So then how do you silence the rabble? I was a youth pastor for many years, and how quickly teens are hungry. One hour after eating, they're hungry, and I'm, I'm starving to death. Really? You just ate an hour ago, you know? Um, I tried to tell them myself, and I, I tried to tell them and myself, there's a huge difference between being hungry and malnourished. So check out what the Israelites are saying in Numbers 11, verse uh, 5 to 6. And I have some, uh, I brought some props because that's kind of fun. I was a youth pastor, so it's kind of one of those things you just got to do, right? Uh, so they're like, they're like, I remember being an Israelite and we had leeks. Do you know, remember leeks? We had these and we had onions and we had garlic. If we only had garlic, God. Or uh, cucumbers. I remember these cucumbers are the best. And melons. I remember the melons. God, there's no melons. And, and we had we had fish, Kirkland fish. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't have Kirkland fish. I found this in my kids' play stuff. They had little fish, you know, and they're like, we don't have fish. All we have is all this stuff that, like, all we have is the manna. And they're, they're crying out to God, and they're frustrated. They're like, God, I want these things. I want all these things that I can't have right now. Um, and, and we do that sometimes, right, where we, like, we kind of get caught up on, on the past, and we think, oh, I, wanna, I want all these things that I can't have, right? And they just, they just think at the manna, and they've had manna for a year, and they're like, oh, this is, this is gross. I'm done with the manna. Talk about like a selective memory, right? You know, it's like, oh, they're only remembering the good things. Did they forget about bondage, slavery? Oh, the good old days. Remember the stuff we ate? <laughs> Reminds me of Philippians 3, verse 19. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. You know, um, in reality, most of us could probably stand to, to miss a few meals. Just this week, my wife and I were talking about how many of the rewards that we do are like food-centric, right? And, and we love to kind of like, oh, if I only had this food, and, and we do that, we reward ourselves with a fancy meal or something like that. And I, I find myself doing that. I'm like, oh, I'll spend an hour, like I'll, I have this Weber cookbook, and I'll spend like an hour making this amazing meal. But do I spend time? Do I maybe make a simple meal and have more time for like a family devotions? or make a simple meal and, and have more time to spend with my kids, my family. You know, our, in our culture, food is a huge thing, right? And it was for them too. And God was kind of pulling that away and saying, hey, I want you to rely on me. I don't want you to be so stuck on food. I want you to be stuck on me. We can all get caught up in the past. We get caught up in remembering the good old days and stop looking at the blessings for today. The crazy cycle is hard to stop and becomes contagious. So again, how do we silence that rabble? How do we silence that thing that says, I need all these other things, instead of looking and saying, I need God? In Acts chapter 7, verse 39, it says, But our forefathers refused to obey God. Instead, they turned their hearts back to Egypt. They rejected God in their heart. There should have been no food in the desert at all. That there was anything in the desert to eat is a, is a sign of God's goodness, a sign of God's blessing. Okay, verse 7, if you're tracking with me, Numbers verse 7, it says this. Now the manna was like coriander seed in its appearance, like that of um, bedellum. The people went about gathering it and ground it into mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it and tasted like that. Uh, it was taste of cakes with, baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna fell with it. Um, 
The taste of it was like pastry prepared with oil. So Exodus 16 says, the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Seems like there's kind of a few different ways to prepare it. Um, So it's not only like, okay, it's only just one thing. You have to eat it a specific way. It seems like they could do different things with it. Um, If all you have to eat, though, is bread with honey for a year, um, would you, like, like if we did that, would we actually die? Like, I mean, really, like, uh, there's no way to kind of, how do we get the nourishment from something like that, right? This, this, um, this manna from heaven appears to have provided all the Israelites needed for a balanced diet. Look at Deuteronomy verse 28. Moses says, while you're in the desert 40 years, your feet did not swell and your clothes did not wear out. This shows that manna had the dietary needs to sustain people for 40 years. Ankles which are swollen are puffy um, can be a sign of malnutrition. So that's what it's saying. So um, on a side note, though, um, <laughs> so I kind of get distracted sometimes, but um, can you imagine wearing the same thing for 40 years? <laughs> the same clothing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it must have been some good quality clothing, I guess. Anyways, but we don't actually know, um, we don't actually know what, uh, what the um, manna was like. There's nothing on earth that we actually have that, that is like, hey, this is what manna is like. There's, there's nothing, but... You know, when I think about it, I kind of think, okay, so it's um, something baked in oil, and, it, and it's going to taste like honey. I was kind of thinking, and it's kind of like maybe like a honey cruller. Mm. All right, next time you have a honey cruller, you can think, oh, it's kind of like manna. Like, we have no idea. Anyways, just want to make you hungry, you know, talking about food. Um, it could have been amazing and tasted like ph- phenomenal, but... After a whole year of eating it, they were getting frustrated. Numbers 11 is estimated as they were been wandering for the desert for about a year. So the same food for a year, ugh, maybe not so good. Verse 10, it says this. Um, Numbers 10, uh, 11, verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping through their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt with your servant like this? And why have, you not found, why have I not found favor in your sight? That you lay the burden of all these people on me. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Now, why have you brought this trouble on me, but your servant? He's, he's saying, remember me, your servant? You're, you're like, I'm your guy, right? Why have I not found favor in your sight? How do you silence the rabble? Well, the first step was right there, and maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. The first step appears to be bringing it before God, to pray, to go and get alone with God, spend some time with God. Verse 12 says, Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry me in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to your fathers? Did I conceive all these people? That's what parents say to each other. Did you see what your son did? (laughs) Wait a second, he's your son too, right? Uh, Is Moses complaining? Absolutely. He's frustrated. He's like, when, when you have to go to work and, and you're, you're a counselor or any of those kind of people, maybe you work in, in some sort of a ministry, you get this. Sometimes people are, are hard to deal with. <laughs> it can be hard to hear about people's struggles and problems all the time. And we all have struggles. And Moses is this example. He's saying he has this problem with all these people. And what does he do? He, he goes to God. Moses prayed. Instead of finding 10 people to share his request with, <laughs> no, Moses went to God. He could have gone to Aaron, his right-hand man. No, Moses went to God first. So how do you silence the rabble? I think we, first of all, we, we need to go to God. People may keep talking, but hopefully God's voice will drown out the rabble. Whatever you're going through, 
I challenge you and encourage you to bring it before God. If you want to drown out the rabble of others or voices in your head, bring your thoughts before God. Verse 13 to 15 says this. Where am I to get meat to feed all these people? So they wait before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. If I found favor in sight, then I may not see my wretchedness. Seems like God and Moses' feelings are kind of being mirrored because God earlier was frustrated. Moses is frustrated. Um, as I said before, the greatest part of this is Moses just being honest before God and saying, hey, you know, if you read through the Psalms, you can pray through the Psalms. I'm just being honest before God and say, hey, God, I'm frustrated. I got hard things going on. There's something here. Um, and Moses, he had, he had a ton of pressure on him. You know, verse 21 says that Moses was leading about 600,000 men. That's a lot of people that he's leading, including women, Shimon. This would have been probably well over a million people. So we're not talking about like a little like posse of people, you know, kind of hanging out and I have to deal with them. He's, he's dealing with a million people. Verse 16 to 17 says this. The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I'll come down and talk with you there, and I'll take some, some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of people with you, so that you may not bear it for yourself alone. So how do we silence the, the rabble? We pray, and then we trust God's response. So um, he's, he's like, okay, I'm going to pray, and, and, and God gave him something, so he has to trust that that's from God. You know, he didn't think to himself, like, oh, is that for sure, God? Well, we don't know. It's not recorded, right? Did he question? He's like, are you sure, God? That's what I'm supposed to do, right? He's like, oh, no. He, he had to trust that that was God. He had to trust that, that God was giving some, some people to support him on the journey, people who are with you, 70 men who have the Spirit of God in them, one person, no matter how gifted, cannot bear the ministry of bur- or the, bin- the burden of ministry alone. We need people to come around alongside us. We're in the process as a church right now of looking looking for elders and things, right? We need people that are going to come and say, "Hey, we're going to lead this together," right? If we had um, if we had a million people in our church, maybe we need seventy elders. I don't know, uh, but you know, it's like that idea of like, "Hey, you've got a lot of people. You need a lot of support. A lot of people that are going to be there to help you." So for Moses, he created this group of seventy men who would actually become the Sanhedrin. Uh, the, the 70 ruling elders who are still are present at the time of Christ. Uh, so if you're trying to understand where it came from, this is actually the start of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin at the beginning was really good. It was what God instituted with Moses, say, hey, you need some support, right? You need people to kind of help. Every church committee needs to have at its center Jesus. Or just like the Sanhedrin, they actually became the people who convicted Jesus to death, Right? Those 70 ruling elders became the people who had lost their focus in some of them. And they ended up being more concerned with their position, and they're like, hey, we got to get rid of Jesus. He's causing too many problems. Which reminds me, for us as a church, um, we need to have Jesus at our center of every one of our committees, every one of our groups, everything that we're doing, every small group. Jesus has to be at the center. Otherwise, just like the Sanhedrin, we can get sidetracked. We can get off track with what God wants us to do. We can become just like the 70. It started out good, and they ended up getting off track, and they ended up convicting Jesus to the cross. Pray and ask God for wisdom, and then return to God. Trust that God has given us wisdom. James 1, verse 5 to 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him who ask, but let him ask in faith with, and without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So you have to pray and ask God for, for wisdom, for true wisdom, and then trust that God's given it to you. Check what you believe with Scripture. You know, if you're like, ah, sure, is, is this for sure from God? It's like, well, let's check it against Scripture. Understand Scripture. Make sure that you know. God's not going to tell you to go and get revenge from somebody, right? That's not the way God is. God didn't get revenge, or Jesus didn't get revenge, right? He's like, hey, I, I forgive, and I, I love you. He's sitting up on the cross, and his arms are outstretched, and he's saying, God, forgive them. He could have called a, a host of angels to protect him, but he didn't get revenge. He just said, I'm there. God's not going to call you that. God, got it. I'm, I'm, God's not going to call you to go and cause dissension, God's not going to take you um, and make you part of the rabble. He says, I want you to be totally engaged with me. I don't want you to be one thing and another thing. I want you to be fully engaged with me. Slow to speak and quick to listen. Not part of the rabble. Verse 18 to 20 says this. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. Woohoo! They're probably celebrating. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat it. You shall not just eat it one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? So here's this blessing and curse. Blessing um, of Moses kind of getting support, getting what they asked for, but then having so much meat that it's going to make them sick <laughs> because there's a challenge to the goodness of God. God had given them supernatural food from heaven. There's nothing now that we know of that is, that is what manna is, but it was supernatural. It was a gift from God. So the key to this is found in verse 20. You have rejected the Lord. Like saying to Jesus, I wish you had not died for me. Leave me alone. You know, we all do this from time to time. We think about the good old days, or we want to go back to places and other things. Proverbs 26, verse 11 says this, like a, like a dog that returns to a vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. The men and women that I work with say, I want to go back to jail. <laughs> Having a bed in three square meals is better than living in the world. It's just like the Israelites saying, I want to go back to slavery in Egypt <laughs> because of leeks and lemons and melons so I can get better food. <laughs> and we do that too. We go back to our past sins. We go back to making wrong choices. The rest of the chapter, uh, verse 21 to 35, is basically this. I'll just summarize it briefly. Keeps on going, talks about um, getting meat, and they're like, how are we going to get this meat? What's it going to look like? God says, has my arm been shortened? So God sends a wind and quail about three feet deep comes all around the camp. They gather it, and those who complained to the Lord were struck down while the food was still between their teeth. Have you ever wanted something so much you couldn't stop thinking about it? Then when you received it, it wasn't as good as you thought. I think God gives wisdom through prayer. God gave Moses the wisdom to spread out the load of, of the 70 of the leadership to 70 others. So how do you silence the, the rabble in your mind? So what others say, uh, what's the rabble that's maybe even going on in your head this morning as I'm chatting? One of the authors uh, I appreciate, uh, her name is Brene Brown. 
um, one of the things she often talks about is, what's the story you're telling yourself? Oh, I've been so good. I deserve this thing, right? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I'm working really hard at this, and so I deserve this other thing. And for me, it's often food that I like. I'm like, oh, I've been really, I've been really healthy this week. I exercised three times, so I'm going to treat myself to a honey cruller, <laughs> right? What is it that you do? If only I had, um, if only I had a better spouse or better kids. If only I had a little more money. If, if only the government changed. If only my teachers were better and, and aligned better with my values. How has the rabble become a stronghold in your life? What's the rabble that's going on in your head? I believe God is leading us now. No matter what the rabble is, God, seeking God in prayer and then choosing to find your satisfaction in God is the important thing. Because the rabble can become something uh, of a stronghold of your life. Strongholds keep us from the freedom that comes from Christ. We need to bring the rabble before God, humble ourselves, repent, and walk in the freedom and strength of God's word in worship, in prayer, and in community and fellowship. And I challenge you, if you're not in community here, then get in community. Sign up for a small group. Be a part of community. You need those people that are going to be around you and supporting you. God wants to do more through you. You just need to talk to God. And then pray. Pray for wisdom. And trust that God is going to give you the wisdom that you need. This applies to me because I can get caught up in the rabble. I can get caught up in the rabble in my brain. I can get caught up in the rabble of what other people say about me. Sometimes the voices which say in my head, like, you can't do this job. Or voices that say, this is way too big of a jump from a youth pastor to working with uh, people coming out of the criminal justice system with ex-cons. Like, really? <laughs> you have no experience in this, Glenn. What are you doing? This means in my family I need to be more concerned with what God thinks and seeking God's wisdom than what my kids think or even at times what my wife thinks. I've recently been convicted that um, I need to read uh, the Bible with my kids at night and um, I need to be sure that I follow through with that conviction that I don't just have that because that was not, (laughs) um, the devil is not going to say, hey Glenn, you should read the Bible to your kids at night, (laughs) right? And so I have to trust that that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to me and saying, hey Glenn, ding, 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 you need to do this, right? You need to do that. So test, and test what's being said. Like if you've got voice in your head, test them against Scripture. Test them about against what you know God to be, who the truth of Scripture is. I, need, I, I believe I need that. I, I need to be praying Scripture to bring um, people to understanding the, the, the food and the solid food of, of knowing God and spending time in prayer. You know, guys come into the office all the time. Like I have probably 20, 30 drop-ins sometimes a week. And um, if I ask... I'm like, hey, I'm going to pray for you. They're never like, no, 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 don't pray for me. <laughs> you know? Um, pray. Just spend time talking to God, praying. Pray scripture over them. As I went to work in my previous job with the provincial government in, in the temporary position, I, I prayed for wisdom as I applied for jobs. I have to trust that God was leaving, leading me, even though the answer was at times no. So in your work, do you pray? For you today, maybe you're a college student or you have grandkids or in college, the voices of teachers saying there is no God, praying and asking God that would reveal himself to you, your grandkids or your teacher in school or in high school or middle school. It's like teachers throw out all sorts of different things. Pray protection over your family, your kids, your grandkids, saying, hey, I want them to know truth and understand truth. If you're single here today, how often do you spend time bringing your crust to God? Even before you go to other people. <laughs> right? Can you spend your time on your own with God? 
What are the voices in your head which are warring at your soul? If you're willing to pray, then I, I would also ask or beg that you would maybe pray for me and the ministry that I'm, that I'm leading. Um, afterwards, you can come by the booth if you're, um, if you're willing to, and um, I'd actually like to give you a pen. <laughs> we have pens from our previous guy got pens, and so I have like hundreds of pens. I'm like, oh, how do I use these pens? I'm like, well, why don't you take one of the pens from us today, and you can take that and um, use it to write out uh, your prayer request. Maybe as you look at that, it'll remind you to pray for bridges too, right? Um, just spending time in prayer, spending time knowing and understanding God. Maybe you can um, add us to your weekly or daily prayer list. I don't know. Anyways, we could also use your support, um, your financial support, kind of supporting us at Bridges. Um, I encourage you, though, first of all, um, to give a tithe. Um, I was chatting with Melden about this beforehand, and I, I was trying to decide if I should say it or not, but uh, you need to be giving here first. Uh, you need to be tithing. This is your church that's feeding you spiritually. So giving a portion of your income here to support what's going on in the ministry of this church then start there. And then if you're like, hey, I want to offer something, uh, an offering over and above your tithe, then I'd encourage you to consider us as an option for that. Maybe you have other organizations you're supporting, keep supporting them. I'm not asking you to stop anything, but consider like, oh, hey, where does God want me to support? What, what, how can I use my resources to make an impact for God's kingdom? Um, if you'd like more information, you can talk to my wife, or um, Todd Glamour will just be kind of back there after, after the service here. So, um, If you're a parent, uh, pray for your kids. Uh, I'd also pray that they won't get stuck in the rabble, that have one foot in the world and one foot trying to serve Jesus. I think that these people are, are dangerous. Revelation 3 verse 15 says, um, it talks about people being lukewarm and wishing that they're either hot or cold. Therefore, I will not have you in the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, right? Those of you who don't have kids at home anymore, who's the rabble in your life? Maybe it's your neighbor who used to go to church or a friend who stopped going during COVID. Um, can we support those to draw them back into community? You know, the rabble, sometimes we get complacent and we become the rabble, right? Where we're kind of one foot in, one foot out. So we need to be in community. We need to be in relationship. We need to draw others into relationships so that we don't become that crowd, the rabble to become true and authentic followers of Jesus that are, that are engaged in following. Moses prayed out on behalf of others. Who are you praying out on behalf of? Are you one of the 70 leaders to help? Are you the prayer warrior or pen pal? Are you the provider of uh, financial support to organizations? Where is God calling you to support today? Like I said before, the men and women I work with sometimes, they say, jail's better than the streets. Three squares and a bed. They've become institutionalized. Some of these people have family, they don't care about them. They feel like jail is better than the streets. And in quite honestly, some, some ways it is. Um, you, I don't know if you know, it costs about $110,000 a year uh, for them to be in jail. About three quarters of that goes to, um, to employees and stuff. So how do we support men and women who are trying to get their lives changed around? Pulling them out of prison and saying like, hey, let's get you set up so you don't end up back in prison. Uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Could you financially support Bridges in life? Then um, helping guys transition back into society, then I encourage you to come chat with me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about that. So, Bridges supports people provide, by providing them opportunity to see the rabble, which have become strongholds of the past brokenness, broken. We challenge them to read the Bible and community and prayer and accountability. But the reality is we all need this, right? We all need that kind of relationship. And that's what uh, coming to church, why I, why I think it's super valuable to be in community, to be in church, to show up right? To be that. Coming out of jail, sometimes people are, are humbled. They've admitted, I'm broken. 
I need help. God, help me. (laughs) But we all need this. Hopefully we don't have to go to that extreme in life to get to the place where God has to pull us back. We're all like inmates sometimes, offenders, broken before God, and can so easily go back to the rabble, the strongholds, the things that tear us down, pull us down. When I started at Bridges, I was told about a young man who came to the Bridges safe house straight from prison. Um, he had been in and out of the criminal justice system and uh, had struggled lots. He, um, he recently had a court date just a week ago. Actually, um, Todd took him to the court date, and, and um, he's waiting now for his sentencing. About um, two months ago, I was out for a walk with him, and uh, we're talking like, so where are you at with God and all this stuff? He's like, he's like, one time in my room, I prayed to be a Christian. I'm like, with nobody else? Like, no, just on my own. I'm like, oh, cool. And, and you can see him. He puts his hand up. He sings. I don't know. His faith is young, and so I don't know where he's at in his relationship with God, but I knew know that Bridges was the, the difference in his life that changed him, that actually drew him into relationship with God. He said, he said I don't know. If, if I wasn't at Bridges, I don't know where I'd be. And this guy's got a really hard, rough past. Um, I'm praying for him. I'm praying that, um, you know, his upcoming court case, the right thing will happen. And maybe for him the right thing is to go back to prison for a while. Maybe it's not. Maybe uh, it's come back to Bridges, or maybe it's somewhere else. But I have to trust that God's got him in his hands and that the seeds that are planted uh, through his relationship with Bridges will will grow and and turn into a, a strong foundation for him. Imagine a church where we were sensitive to the leading of God. What if we continue to bring our quest to God as Moses did? Honest, heartfelt, requ- heartfelt requests of struggle. What would Kelowna look like <laughs> if we can embrace following God? Would prisons close if we could actually help people not go back to prison? That's my vision. That's my hope. How can this church share the love of Jesus with men and women who are in jail? Imagine a church with silenced rabble, with prayer and wisdom that comes from God. That's my hope. That's my desire for this church. Bible stories are not just for you and me. They were given so this group of people here in this community, right here, can be a beacon of hope in our community. What does God want to do through you? How do you silence the rabble? I believe God gives us wisdom when we pray. So let me put some feet to this really quickly. Um, Sunday, tonight, there is an opportunity for you to come and pray. Don't make excuses. Maybe make a really simple meal and make it easier for you to come and be a part of that. You want to silence the rabble? Come and pray with us tonight. Come and be in community. Come and be in relationship with others. I encourage you to be there, to come and seek the Lord for wisdom and to silence the rabble. Thank you.